consumers are naturally busy people. We do not buy all the brands. And think of categories like cosmetics and things. There mm. are just, it's probably 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 brands, right? We're never, even in our lifetime, going to buy them all. Right? We keep going back to the same brands. We're naturally loyal. But we can only be naturally loyal if we know what our brand was right. You're listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast, conversations with industry leaders on new trends and products that can grow your business. This episode is a pre-recorded interview from the Meta Brand Building Summit. Edlin Larrier, our head of industry for CPG Food and Beverage here at Meta, sits down with Byron Sharp, professor of marketing science at Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Edlin Laye, Meta's Head of Industry for CPG Food and Beverage. Hey, everybody. I'm playing the role of hot pink jacket number two today. And I could not be more excited to be up here on stage. First of all, my dad is watching on the live stream and it is his birthday today. He's 84. So happy birthday, dad. But also because I'm standing in between you and lunch for a very good reason. So about 10 years ago, I bought a book that helped me understand the work that I was doing on iconic brands. It also gave me a great framework to make sure that I didn't screw those iconic brands up. So I'm happy to say that the brands I worked on still exist today. But many of you in this room probably got the book, How Brands Grow, as part of your training, onboarding on your first day, either in university, or you also picked it up because you wanted to learn more about how brands were built. That book was written in 2010, and 2010 was a really momentous time for our industry. There were new platforms and channels, and there were also things like Digital First, which was the strategy that we worked on. That book did not address any of that, actually. It was focused on the core of building brands, mental availability, physical availability, how you drive preference in order to really build business growth. And the author of that book, is a professor of marketing research and the director of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, which is the world's largest center for the study of marketing. I am thrilled, and I hope you will join me in welcoming to the stage the inimitable Professor Byron Sharp. Professor Sharp, welcome to New York. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Very excited to have you. I'm going to start with a bit of a provocative question. Okay. Super Bowl advertising. Is it still worth it? It's always only been worth it for a very tiny portion of brands in the world. Key characteristic is it's, you can get very fast reach, unduplicated reach. And that's valuable to some brands. If I was launching a movie and I needed to get people into the cinemas, you know, in the next two weeks or something, absolutely, I would need that. Yeah, I mean, you have to need that fast and vast reach. Otherwise, you probably could have bought that much reach, probably less expensively. But, you know, marketers... They invent other reasons. There are other reasons, like I want the CEO to see it and things like that, which they don't usually mention. They usually get, you know, esoteric and it'll build a deep emotional attachment to the brand or something like this. We love fooling ourselves. We do love talking to ourselves. One of the biggest debates we're having right now that I get asked a lot about is attention. And so yes. is attention a metric that matters? How do you think about it? Is that the right thing to be thinking about? We are in a battle for attention. We always had been. But lately, no, it's been, I don't know, this whole of people selling, hopefully a few people in the audience, but it's people selling attention metrics and things. And that's what can be really dangerous. I mean, that can send us down the route of only talking to the people who give us, you know, who watch our ads and give us lots of attention, our heaviest buyers, our mum, 
yes. our employees. So optimizing for attention is like turning your advertising into a loyalty program, which is a disaster. But also we have to be humble. We have to realize that we are going to get fleeting attention. Fleeting exposures is how advertising has always been. I know marketers, you know, you go to the agency and they show you the ad and you sit in a room and they dim the lights and you watch all 30 seconds. Apart from cinema, that never happened in the real world, right? We've known for 50 years, even 30 second TV ads only usually get, you know, the norm is people leave the room, they talk, they watch a bit, they hear a bit. We've always had fleeting exposures. So our job as marketers is to not try to beat that, but rather it's like trying to make an anti-gravity machine. It's like, no. You've got gravity, okay? You've got fleeting exposures. You're always going to get fleeting exposures. Be humble. Build creativity so your ad can work as a fleeting exposure. Because every single media only delivers fleeting exposures. Occasionally, someone watches the whole ad, but not usually. That's interesting because uh, duration is the thing that I get asked about a lot. So people ask me, how long should my ad or thing be? Should it be 30 seconds? It sounds like you're saying oh, you can still be effective in a shorter period of time. We've known for ages that shorter ads, like half the length of an ad is not more than half as effective. We've always, we've known that for ages. So you can achieve a lot in very short ads. And if they cost you lots less, that's quite sensible. But you've got to build the creativity so that it works like that. Which is absolutely tough. Yeah, which means using your distinctive assets, making sure they're very well branded, making sure brilliant, lovely. Oh, I saw this beautiful ad recently. It was just a, it was like, it was outdoors, like a piece of print. It could have been on screen as well, but it was just had, it's a picture of a, obviously a muscle car, right? The Audi logo. And it said, oh dear, I think we've raised a monster. And that's what I did. I went, oh, that's cute. And immediately got across the message to me that I didn't really realize that Audi make cars like that. That's it. Now I could have stood in front of that bus shelter for another 30 seconds looking at the beauty of that ad, but, you know, two seconds was enough. Message received. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's great creativity. You know, it's just clever, it's witty, and well-branded. Humor helps. One of the biggest things people wanted me to ask you was yeah. about measurement. Okay, I'm from the Irimbu Bass Institute, which we like to say the home of evidence-based marketing. We're scientists. So people do sometimes misinterpret that of saying that, you know, you have to measure everything. But the, actually science has been... One of the big scientific breakthroughs is we learning that you don't have to measure everything. You don't have to do things over and over. No engineer or aeronautical engineer yeah. arrives in, I don't know, Chile and goes, what's Chilean gravity like? We know the answer to that. We don't have to keep re-measuring things. So the Ehrenberg Bass Institute's pretty, I like to think, a fairly successful B2B brand that is, you know, it's a university <laughs> research center that You've heard of here in New York, right? So we've done a reasonably good job of that. We don't measure everything. We measure a very few metrics. We measure things like, we used to measure what we called on-air days. That's when we had a big event, someone talked about us, a conference or something like that. But then there were too many of those. So now we measure when people write about us, right? So if you write an article and you measure, and we know that we get more mentions than Phil Kotler, and we're pretty <laughs> pleased about that. We like to see that continue to go up, but that's a sort of really good fame metric. And we don't need a lot of other we measure out, we know our distinctive assets. We have things for making sure we use them, but we don't do marketing mix modeling. We advertised some scholarships recently to bring bright students into the degrees mm -hmm. and we used Instagram and, and yeah, we used a number of different media, and, but we didn't try to figure out which one got two inquiries and which one got three because we know that it's advertising. The bulk of the effect of that, even though it's advertising scholarships, you know, you can get money next year. 99% of the people who see that ad are not 
in the market for a degree in marketing at the moment. So most of our work will pay off in like 17 years time when a mum who saw the ad when she was maybe pregnant now knows that the University of South Australia has the best marketing degree in the world. But all advertising is spread very thinly into the future. Advertising, your broad reach advertising, is to make the environment for your brand more benign next year and five years' time and 10 years' time. That's its job. You don't try to measure it in sales. And when you tell your CEO or your CFO that, oh, no, it pays off in sales now that I can see in my, you are like, you know, signing your own death warrant. <laughs> can you talk about that more, though? Because you've written about the work that we do now does pay off later. And I think well, yeah. we've talked a little bit about the long and short-term effects of yeah, building brands. I'm, like to build a brand, you really, you have to be long-term oriented or can you? Yeah, do yeah I, but I think I'm sort of realizing that, so I think I'm on a crusade to say, <laughs> let's think of mental availability and physical availability. They're two assets that marketing largely owns. They underpin the value of our business. So that's really important. But also let's think like that. Let's think about mental availability, which lasts four decades. And our mental availability today is largely built by the people who came before us. And then there's the physical availability, catching people who are coming up to screen or up to shelf now. And they're two different things. Let's not talk about short-term, long-term, because I think that confuses us. We feel we still have this idea that we do advertising and then somehow it's like a time bomb and it explodes in five years' time. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work like that. It's a time capsule it's, you open, yeah. It's just spread very thinly. So that's the mental availability. And then the physical availability or purchase availability is trying to catch our fair share of the people who are about to buy the category today. And that we can see in ourselves. Any change we make, we can see in ourselves. It's like a store who you know, decides to open for an extra hour or close for an extra hour, they can see the effect instantly. So we can optimize that with ROI and we should know exactly how much we should be spending because there is a point where it just stops, right? I, mean, yeah. I remember it was Amazon saying to me that there's a certain point where people can buy display and search terms and things and it returns to stop. It's exactly like if you've got shelf space and you've got nine facings and you buy a tent. You, know, you can buy it from the retailer, but you won't get any return. So we should know that point. But advertising is completely different. You should never be using measurement ROI and things like that. You, that's just ridiculous. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. It's a forecasting decision about, do I expect my brand to be around in five years' time, 10 years' time? So, and then you decide how much you will spend on it. And it's a forecasting decision, a completely different thing. Does your work for brands that we would call like direct? Because some of the criticism is if I'm selling online and I click and I buy the pair of shoes, do I need mental availability? Because it was just like shoes, buy them. Well, I, who was it? Was it Hillary? Gave a yeah, fantastic Hillary. example of that. Yeah, advertising is weird. Often we hit people with advertising after they've purchased. Terrible ROI on that, right? This is essential. Consumers are naturally busy people. We do not buy all the brands. And think of categories like cosmetics and things. There mm. are just, it's probably 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 brands, right? We're never, even in a lifetime, going to buy them all. Well, we keep going back to the same brands. We're naturally loyal, but we can only be naturally loyal if we know what our brand was, right? So that swimwear, she didn't know what the brand was, so she couldn't go back to it. But if she had advertising, we would have. So yes, absolutely. We have to have mental and physical availability. We need some work that catches people who are buying the category today. And we have some work that is to build the biggest search engine in the world, which is, which I'm quoting my colleague Jenny Romanek, is between people's ears. So often we go, oh, I'm hungry, need lunch, want something spicy, you know, 
firing in our head and we're narrowing down the choices very quickly. What assumptions do we have today as marketers that are wrong? I've already heard today people talking about brand love and things like that. They all stem from, I think, a fundamental lack of education in knowledge of the things like the negative binomial distribution, knowing that most of our customers are extremely light. Because we don't know, we tell stories to ourselves, which unfortunately, this is the way humans are, right? Because our, our ancestors have been in little tribe things and, you know, seeing more than 10 people at once used to be an amazing thing, right? <laughs> Not many of our ancestors ever did that. But now you work for brands where you're selling to hundreds of millions and billions of people. That is very weird. You can't do it through intuition. In fact, if it feels intuitively right, it's probably wrong. Really, real world is a weird place. And science has been making these discoveries about the real world, but pretty much every single discovery, we go, oh my God, I wouldn't have thought it would be like that. It's weird, right? They're not just pinpricks of light up there in the sky. They're not just heavens. We're in a galaxy. There's 300 billion stars in it. Wow. And there's like 300 billion galaxies. This is all just mind-blowing. This just sounds like fantasy. It's the real world. It's weird. So we need to figure it out. And, you know, we need deep understanding, which doesn't mean that we try to measure everything every day. We were talking about always on versus burst back in the green room. It's an excellent example of when, because people say to me, the Airbnb Bass Institute's been so influential. And I go, yes, I mean, I know I see our flame metrics go up, but you know, there are some parts of practice that we still have not been able to change. So if you today go on any media, right, from Instagram to outdoor to whatever, any media and you see an ad, you can pretty much be guaranteed if you stay on that medium, you will see that ad again today. Maybe if you're on things like broadcast video on demand, you'll see it many, many times. And yet a week later, a month later, you won't see it at all. That's just wasting money. They do not need to see you that many times. And then going down later on, this is crazy. This is so much evidence. This is, that is bad media strategy. And yet it is the norm. Because we get so obsessed with our own work sometimes. You want to see it we all the time. Campaigns. You want to like make yeah. sure that it's there versus actually spreading out over time is equally as a Yeah, spreading is a, is a golden rule of media. Yeah. Yeah. I was driving to the airport and there was this ad, an outdoor ad, and then it was again and again. They bought the entire road, right? And I thought, wow, so there's like 30 billboards here. They're not big billboards, but there's 30 of them. You could have just had one or two and taken all the others and put them somewhere else in town. No, you do it just there. So I got hit, yeah, 30 times. So it's pretty easy to see waste money just pouring down the drain in my I wanted to start a blog of when I got poorly targeted and my favorite poorly targeted ad was I got an ad in Korean for a car yes. and I've never owned a car and I don't speak Korean. Korean. Yeah. But that's good or what? By far, the biggest question I got yeah. to ask you was if you had to write the book again today, what would you change? So it ends with, you know, there are these laws, right? And they hold under all these conditions and they fit together to tell us a story about the world, which is that brands largely compete in terms of mental and physical availability. That's sort of it's a theory, it's a story that binds them together, it fits. But I didn't talk about the need to overlap those two. And particularly for small brands, you know, most of us aren't as big a brand as we'd like to be. Overlap is really crucial. It's life or death for new brands. So whenever you get physical availability, but you're not in the minds of customers, you just don't get seen and you get a terrible return on that physical availability investment. And likewise, there's not much point in building mental availability from people who they don't know how to buy you. 
or that it is actually hard for you. You don't take their credit card, you're not open their hours or whatever. So you've got to put the two together. We used to get asked by our sponsors, if I was launching a new brand, would I go national immediately and try to, you know, get a march on our competitors? Or would we just go in a, a set little area, first of all, or type of people or something like that? Because our budgets weren't super huge. And we would answer and say, there have been successes and failures doing both of those strategies, you know. We don't know. But now I think we do know. And the answer is, it all depends if you can get overlapping mental and physical availability. If you can get overlapping mental and physical availability nationally, go for it. If you can't, then select an area, a geographical area or a time or whatever. Because you have to get overlapping mental and physical availability. Can't succeed without it. Yeah, there should have been a chapter on that, shouldn't there? Who do you yeah. think is doing this well? Because this is really hard to do well. Oh, lots of people are doing bits well. If you look at it, you can see example. That Audi was a mm-hmm. great example. You can see great creativity working with fleeting exposures. You can see some things where they're getting amazing reach. And then you can also see a lot of very boring creativity that you really can't even tell what brand it is, let alone, is that a car? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a car. And I guess it's a car ad. I don't know. No, it's a tire ad. I don't know. Yeah, that's a luxury watch ad. Yeah. Which, I don't know. They're all the same, aren't they? They are. They're all the same. There's a celebrity going like this. I, I recently told a CEO about this, the lack of, you know, advertising people, we like to think we're terribly creative, but we actually sometimes really aren't. And I said, if you actually look at watch ads, they even have the same time on the watch. It's always like about eight minutes past 10. He wrote to me. A few days later, he said, I did not believe you when you said that. That just sounded so ridiculous, but I've been looking and it's true. So I think as a creative industry, we could be a little bit more creative, a little bit more fun for consumers. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes when consumers say they don't like ads, it's because, you know, they're just boring. Yeah, I had one of our leaders would say, I don't understand why we leave ourselves at the door, our personality, because would you find that funny? But you just put that out in it. And there's a golden rule where she would... When a marketer describes their ad as hilarious, that means it's maybe mildly amusing. It's kind of mid. Yeah, it ends up being mid. We were just hearing about AI and creativity, and that was another question that was submitted from the audience. It was to ask you about how are you thinking about artificial intelligence? Predicting the future is a mugs game. You know, I can see lots of applications. I hope it'll get rid of social media sweatshops because there's a lot of bright young university students who go, I want to go out and work in social media. What they mean is just sitting there and going, you know, for Ikea and going, geez, what can I say about tables today? You know, just typing. And we can replace that with AI. I think mm-hmm. that's not. But we're not taking away people's jobs, just but, to be look, clear. But the demand for marketing is not, uh, don't worry, your careers are safe. Yeah. But whether it's they are and they aren't, we're going to need more creative. We're going to need more creative people. We're going to need more scientific people because your job is to make interventions in the market and learn from those, which means you need to be, I like to explain to people, a scientist is someone who's really open-minded, right? Who goes, wait, maybe we could show the watch with a different time on it, but also really skeptical. Like, how would we check that? How would we know that? And so being open-minded, but skeptical and well-educated, we need lots more people who do that. And so AI is great because it's hopefully going to free up a, you know, it's going to speed us up and, and free up a lot of those drudgery jobs. And let us get on with that stuff. And help us get to insights, maybe yes. faster. Yeah. But people are going to have to be educated. Just dawned on me recently, if you need something done, right, heart surgery or a tap fixed or just anything, right, that you need a, 
some expert is not something you can do. So you needed some expertise. No. And you had the choice between two people. One person is just incredibly bright. They top their class every school. Teachers said they're wonderful. And, you know, but they haven't trained in this area. Or another person who's just quite good, but they have actually trained as a plumber or an electrician or a heart surgeon. Which one are you going to choose? Is always the one who's got the training, isn't it? And it's sort of embarrassing that often in marketing we go, no, 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 you don't need that. You just need a good person. No, thinking that is wrong. Thinking that is dangerous. Training is important. Yes. And we need to have knowledge of the world. And it is true. Most marketing degrees don't teach you that much. Most marketing degrees have nothing on media. Isn't that embarrassing? Really? Do you remember Phil Kotler's textbook? It had that table. It had listed different media. It had advantages and disadvantages of each. I just love the one we got to, I think it was newsletters or something. I think it was news, yeah. Newsletters. And it's obviously they were struggling. What's the disadvantage? And they wrote, costs could run away. Yeah. And so I think we need to have a much deeper knowledge than that. TV has pictures. Radio doesn't. Oh, wow. Hey. That's what you go to university for? I don't think so. It's a hard distinction. I wanted to ask you what you're excited about for the next. So what are you excited about as you're doing research today? Oh, lots of things. But one new project or will be probably a number of projects is about that thing of realizing that advertising, you know, the effects are spread thinly in time. You know, most of the people you hit with your advertising this week are not even going to buy next week let alone month, whatever. And so you think traditionally what marketers have done is said, we need to measure intermediate variables like awareness or something like that, because well, we can do a survey and, and reach all of those people. And we've been doing this for 50 years or something. And yet if I say to anyone, you want, what have we learned from that? What is a normal level of, you know, pick any memory metric you like and say, what level should that be for a level of that spend or a brand of that age? And we go, I don't know. Right. So you measure your distinctive assets and then you go, right, I would like to be much higher. I'd like to be double on that one. And the classic thing is, how long should that take? How much money would you expect that to take? And the answer is, we don't know. Yeah. We tend to just measure all these things and hope some of them go up. Or I have seen senior marketers comb through and look for the one that went up and go, that's the one that's going to the board. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? We should by now have some real knowledge about those intermediate variables that would tell us about whether our advertising was doing something. Because trying to use marketing mix models and things like that and trying to estimate is just looking in the wrong place. Do that for your catch them when they fall stuff. Optimize that. In fact, optimize that. So that's right. That's uh, so the thing. more on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. when people ask me in the recession, because there's going to be a recession, yes. right? We can all predict there's a recession coming. Could be in one year, it could be in 10, but... <laughs> There's going to be a recession. People say, well, should I move my money out of advertising into catching them when they fall, performance and things? And the answer is no, because you should have optimized that. And if you've optimized it, if you move another dollar in, you'll get a terrible return. So no, you wouldn't. It makes no sense. You can't get more. You know, I mean, you can go to Amazon and say, can I buy another display ad? And they'll say, yes, you can, but you're not going to get any return. So because you should have already optimized that. So no. Continuity is important. We talk a lot about that because sometimes it's also like just pause all advertising because there's a recession. Yeah, but the catching when they fall, but the physical value, the purchase value, we can never turn it off because if you turn it off, you see sales. You can turn advertising off. You can. But? I wouldn't, you know, recommend it, but it's an investment in the future, right? So if you actually thought, 
there's a really good chance we will be out of business next year because you need that money. But that would be the only time. And most consumer goods companies, they know that recession will not last that long and they will be in business in five years' time and they will be business in 10 years' time. So turning off advertising would be a great way to dent your share price because your share price is made up of the market's estimate of your future, not today in the middle of the recession. It's about how are you going to be after the recession? So that's why you would not turn it off. But you can turn it off if you're going to go broke if you don't. Try not to go broke. Yeah. Advice from Professor. If you have no future, um, then don't invest in the future. Yes. So you've got a room of some of the best marketers in the world out here. What advice would you have if you were sitting out in the audience? What would you give them? Be open-minded and skeptical. You're working in an amazing time in marketing, right? Because the scientific revolution has started. We're starting to actually really learn stuff about the way the world works. That's when I started out as a, you know, young university student, no one talked about that. That was just wasn't even on the agenda. That's amazing. Sorry, because you're a wonderful tech company and things, but I think that's much more exciting than the technology. The the technology is always going to be new technology. But the fact that we've got a scientific revolution coming and we're living that our careers are during that time. Wow, that's fantastic. Really good. Professor Sharp, thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this interview from the Meta Brand Building Summit and would like to thank Byron and Edlin for a fascinating and valuable discussion. You can find links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. 